We think women need to talk more openly about money because money really matters. It shouldn't be embarrassing or confusing. Join the conversation. We'll be discussing a whole range of topics which will help you get comfortable with your finances. Money Matters, brought to you by AJ Bell. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Money Matters podcast. I'm Dan Hewson. And I'm Laura Souter. And if you've got us on your podcast subscription list and you'll know what we're all about, welcome back. And for our new listeners, welcome to you too. Yes, what has kept you? Money Matters is a podcast where we are up for tackling everything that impacts a woman's finances, from how to successfully ask for a pay rise to everything you need to know about mortgages right now. And that is a lot. But this episode is about a huge event in many, not all, but many women's lives. And that is having a baby. And we know that this is one of the moments that makes a huge difference to women's finances, because it's not just about those first few months when you're off on maternity leave. It's all the other things that come with having children, things like childcare costs, the motherhood juggle, which makes it tricky for some women to work full time. We've got lots of articles with tips and tricks that you might want to consider if you are in that space or if you're considering having children. So do take a look at our website and sign up to our mailing list so you can keep up to date with all of this content that we've pulled together. And on this episode, stay tuned, we've got a brilliant chat with finance blogger and influencer Tulu Frimpong, who took time off from her maternity leave to talk to us about how baby number four is impacting her finances. Now, I've got two, Laura. I'm in awe of Tulu, who is now at four boys. Four boys is a lot. I'm also impressed that she can juggle that whilst also doing a podcast recording. I'm already in awe of her. Well, she timed it perfectly. So baby was asleep um, when we had our first chat. And then the second time she got her husband to take the baby out for a walk, which I think is fantastic planning. And I think that's part of what you need to do this motherhood juggle, isn't it? Yeah, that really epitomizes the motherhood juggle. Obviously, she's starting early with having a younger baby, but that kind of juggle. So in our house, we have the Sunday catch up where my husband and I go through our diaries for the week, work out who's picking up and dropping off my daughter. Sometimes you get into a competition of whose work meeting is more important, who can cancel more things. (laughs) Um, Always fun to do. But I think that really epitomizes the kind of juggle that most parents face, which is who's working where, who can do which pick up and drop off, when do you need to draft in additional help, all of that fun juggle. Yeah, we have um, a calendar on the wall. And what I always say is, if it's not on the calendar, it doesn't exist. So if my husband has a meeting that he has to go to, or he's going to be away overnight, or he's going to be out late, he needs to put it on the calendar so that I can make alternative arrangements. And he's really bad at doing that. And I got to a point where I basically say it's not on the calendar, so it doesn't exist. (laughs) I think that's a good rule to have. Yeah, I think so. It's a bit easier now they're a bit older because I can just say, do you know, you're going to have to get the bus 
Um, but just occasionally I then get a, oh, uh, none of my friends are doing that. Can you please? And then it's juggle on top of everything else. <laughs> Pulling on the heartstrings. Yes. But we know that just being of a certain age can even have an impact on so- how some employers view women. Although I hope that those views are becoming a bit outdated now. But there were some really interesting uh, figures released a couple of weeks ago by recruitment firm Robert Walters, which found that more than half of working mothers felt that they'd earned a promotion but hadn't yet received the promotion. And that's in comparison to just 14% of working fathers who felt the same. So we can still see that there is that impact of having children on women in the workforce. And there are also, I don't think anyone is going to be surprised when I say this, but huge discrepancies that they found when it comes to pay. And um, they spoke to 6,000 people for this survey, and only 6% of working mums were earning 75000 or above, while 21% of working fathers are in this pay bracket. Okay, you might be saying, well, that is a huge amount of money. Fantastic, brilliant if you're on that, but more realistic, perhaps £42,000 a year. And even there, we see a similar trend. So 53% of working dads earn just £42,000 a year or above, and only a quarter of working mums are in the same boat. And there are a lot of reasons for that. I mean, I know certainly I've got a lot of friends who change jobs after they had children. So, you know, maybe they were on sort of a a career path which might have taken them to that £75,000 pay bracket, but then they decided actually they wanted something else. They wanted to be around to do the school pick up and drop off. They wanted to be there to be able to do all those extracurricular activities and and really sort of embrace the role of mum, which is massively important to a lot of people. I know that we've also got a situation now where I've got a number of friends who are working dads and and they want to get involved more and more. But I think that a lot of that can be down to sort of a, a change in focus um, maybe people go part-time, but still I think that there, there are huge gaps and that is something which then impacts a woman's life on every stage going forward in terms of you know how much money she's got, not just day-to-day, but also then to invest for later in life. Yeah, and I think I completely agree with that. And I think anecdotally, when I think about my friends, I think a lot of them, it's not so much that they're cutting back hours necessarily or switching to other jobs. It's more maybe that they're just staying with their current employer because they think, okay, this is a flexible company. I know I can do the juggle here rather than maybe moving to a new employer. I'm thinking of one friend in particular um, where she had the opportunity to move for more money, but she, she just thought it's a bit of a risk. What if I end up having to work insane hours and I can't do those pick up and drop offs or what if if I um, end up finding that that struggle and the pressure is too much. And so I think sometimes that then lends itself to that salary difference that we were talking about there. But I hope that as, you know, more, like you say, more working fathers 
take on 50% of the share of childcare and the responsibility, more take parental leave, that should even out over time. But I think it's we might take a while before we get there. And we're going to be delving into this and loads of other topics around women's finances and all of these wobbly bits of people's finances um, later this year. So definitely sign up to our newsletter, check out the website to make sure that you're keeping on top of that because we'll have loads more great data and findings to back all of this up coming soon. I think it's really interesting what you said there about relationships with your employer, because um, this was sort of a a call to action as part of this um, survey by Robert Walters. But it's also something that we took from our Money Matters survey that we did when we launched this whole thing. And I'm sure it'll come out in this survey that we've just done as well, that relationships are so important. And we know even now, though, things are getting a bit more Um, the the labour market is easing up somewhat. Uh, We know that employers now maybe are thinking about having to let people go, but skills are so massively important. And if you have someone working for you that you respect, that you know, that is demonstrating that, you know, they can do the job, they can do it well, and they're prepared to give the hours when needed, I think you want to keep them on board. And I think employers are waking up to that more and more. But I think still a lot more can be done. And I think particularly when it comes to childcare, because it it seems so simple, right? You pay for childcare and that's great. Your child is looked after between certain hours. But depending on the kind of childcare that you've got, and even if it's in nursery, because I remember one specific occasion where I had to phone in to my work and say, "I, I can't get in today because my nursery was closed because of sickness. You know, so many of the children had got this stomach bug that they'd had to close for a couple of days. And you you just can't you know, sort of um, put anything in place to help deal with that, unless you've got parents close by, it is really difficult. So I think employers maybe need to, I've heard of some companies having sort of standby childcare available, which I think is is quite a, a smart idea. But it is so massively expensive as well, which I know puts a lot of people off from working. And we've had an update from the government on its plans to extend the amount of free childcare available to working parents. Uh, 16 councils have been picked to be the first to roll out this wraparound care from next summer. All schools tasked to provide wraparound care by September 2026. I think we're on the cusp of something which could be game changing. But I agree. For, for a lot of people, it's going to come too late. It will do. But I think that we, with an election looming, it feels like childcare is going to be one of those big topics, one of those big battlegrounds. And um, the Conservatives have already come out with this plan. Um, Labour will presumably be pledging to do more than the current government is doing, which might then push Conservatives to launch even more. But as part of this latest announcement of funding, the government is finally paying nurseries more for those free hours that parents can claim. So currently, parents of three and four year olds and some parents of two year olds can claim free hours of childcare. But at the moment, the amount the government pays to nurseries is far below the market rate that parents would be paying. So you end up with parents paying these series of kind of top up fees or extra fees. Now the government has announced that it has added a significant boost to the amount of money that it is paying to um, nurseries. It and 
and childminders. It varies across local authority. So there's no kind of universal one rate, of course, because childcare rates vary across the country. But that is a, a good move. And it has been relatively warmly welcomed by those in the industry. I mean, there's still lots of hurdles that remain in terms of availability of childcare and all of those things. But I do agree with you that it's kind of steps in the right direction. I do feel a bit more positive, even if I can feel slightly bitter that these moves will not benefit me, but I'll set aside my own personal <laughs> feelings on this. Um, and if you wanted to hear more about childcare and the associated costs of it, we've done previous podcasts and articles on this. There's a great episode with Claire Barrett from the Financial Times that you should go back and check out if you want more on that. But now on with this episode. And the one thing about having a baby is that you do forget an awful lot of what you go through. And it's only when you're actually in it, in the middle of it, that some key issues come to light. So we thought, who better to chat to about the cost pressures of having a baby, the brain fog that impacts all those crucial decisions than someone in it right now? I've been chatting to the wonderful Tulu Frimpong, money blogger, influencer, and now mum of four. I, I suppose the first thing to say is congratulations you've got a seven week old and it's not your first child so you must be like running on fumes oh my gosh yeah thank you it's a lot it's a lot it's very busy very hard work but somehow I'm just finding finding a way to survive and manage it all and managing it all when you are trying to juggle all that sort of stuff and dealing with the brain fog and what is quite an emotional time makes dealing with the fact that you've got less money coming into the house much harder. Oh, absolutely. Do you know what? Since I had my first son, I've been dealing with that brain fog and it just gets worse with each child. So as you can imagine now on number four, trying to keep up with everything I'm trying to manage with the household and then also the finances and making the money work, it's definitely a huge challenge. But thankfully, I've got the support of my husband and we have regular budgeting dates and finance dates. <laughs> So I know it's very sad, but it's so necessary for us to kind of keep on top of the money because now that I'm on maternity leave, my income is going to go down within the next month or so. So just kind of managing that all with the baby brain, it, it's a lot. I don't think it's sad. I think that's brilliant that you have budgeting dates. Oh, really? Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is a great idea because... It's been a long time since I had my kids, but I just remember feeling incredibly vulnerable, incredibly isolated, and then trying to, because I, I was paying the mortgage and things out of my account, we didn't have a joint account at the same time, and trying to sort of balance the books and look after a newborn and deal with the emotions, it made it really stressful. It is a lot. Emotionally, it's very draining because that whole postpartum period in itself can be very taxing. Even before having the baby, actually, when I was pregnant, those nine months were very challenging because my cravings and me wanting to buy everything when we went shopping made it very hard to stick to my budget and stick to my food list because I have on paper what I'm planning to buy. But then I get to the store and then there's so many things that I really want. But Usually I'm good and disciplined in saying no to myself. But during that period when I was pregnant, it was extremely, extremely hard. And not just foodstuffs. This is stuff for the baby. 
So with stuff for the baby, actually, I'm a lot better. I was a lot better with that because it's my fourth one now. I know what I knew what I needed and what I didn't need. So whilst there was a bit of temptation to buy some things brand new that I didn't need to buy, because I'd been here before, I knew that, no, Toddy, you're just being emotional. Just <laughs> think about the budget. Think about the bigger picture and what you're trying to work towards and just say no. So I'll give you a quick example. There was a breast pump that I wanted to buy that was all arranged that everyone was talking about on Instagram. And I was really sucked in and I wanted to buy it. But then I just had to look at the numbers and just I had to come to the conclusion that it just didn't make sense for me financially to spend at the time, it was £250 for this top-of-the-range breast pump. Wow. When I knew that I've had three children before, I didn't need to spend that much on a new um, breast pump. So what I ended up doing was going on Amazon and finding a cheaper alternative, which was like £45. So I was quite proud of myself <laughs> to come into that hair pressure and just find the cheaper alternative. <laughs> I mean, why was that breast pump so much? Just because it's endorsed by celebrities or...? It's, a, it's that yes and also they say it's a breast pump that you can wear when you're out and about on the move but I knew for myself I was never planning to leave the house <laughs> wearing a breast pump so it, it just wasn't worth it for me. That seems like a very peculiar accessory but I totally understand the, the sort of the impact of seeing stuff on social media particularly when you're having a baby and particularly when it's your first because you want the best of everything and if you see somebody on social media particularly someone that you admire and follow using something you think well that that must be the best and there's a huge amount of pressure then to spend more than you want to spend to get the best oh absolutely and like I said I'm on my fourth one now so I've learned from my sins of the past (laughs) so with my first one I was that mother that wanted everything brand new everything top of the range anything designer quote unquote for the baby is what I was buying but after having my first son I quickly realized that I wasted a lot of money on things that I didn't need every single gadget is not necessary for a newborn in fact they don't need as much as we are made to believe they need so all the marketing for new mums is to buy the best and buy everything there's a new gadget literally everything you need to do for a child however it's not all necessary and yeah, I would just say as a new mom, as much as you want the best for your child, ultimately they just need to be fed, changed, kept warm. And all the other additional bits, just kind of use your own discretion to buy it and don't just buy everything that you see on social media because statutory maternity pay or even enhanced maternity pay is going to be a lot less than what you're used to earning when you was working. So you need to take that into consideration because while you're shopping for the baby, you're still getting that full-time income. However, when you go on maternity leave, that income is going to go down and you need to take that into consideration when you're shopping for that child. And of course, you were talking about the things that you need to have. And we're in a cost of living crisis where inflation is still ridiculously high. So even those necessities, have you gone to the supermarket and gone, oh my gosh? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I actually did a reel about this. So I bought, I buy my baby wax from Aldi. And it's a multi-pack, six in a box, no, 12 in a box, I think it was at the time. And I had a box at home that was about to run out and I bought a second box and I got home. And even when I was in a store, actually, I looked at the box and I thought, this box looks different to what I'm used to buying. (laughs) And it was only when I got home and I saw the box at home and the box I just bought, I realized that the box was a lot smaller. The packets of wipes were a lot smaller. There was less wipes within each packet. 
the size of the actual individual wipes was also a lot smaller. And I was just like, no, these people are out of order. I had to top that up, the price had, um, to top that off, actually, the price had even gone up. So not only were we getting less, we were paying more. And with stuff that you've got to buy, I mean, it's not like you can do without wipes or nappies. Right. That is exactly it. So that's what I would say as well. It would be good to shop around for special offers on these things for new mums. So those are the kind of things that I would only, not only suggest, but those are those are the times when I would su suggest to bulk buy is when you see special offer on things like the nappies or wipes, because these are things that you're going to be using for months and months and even years to come. So there's no problem in buying loads of that and stocking it up when you see special offers. I would also say don't be sucked into the designer brands. I say designer brands, you know what I'm speaking <laughs> of when I say designer brands. Don't necessarily just always opt for those brands because actually sometimes the supermarket and brands, the quality can be a lot better and the, the product is a lot better for half of the price. I mean, people are trading down all, all over the place. It, it's become a science, hasn't it? the ability yeah. to trade down. But when you're a new mum and you're not sleeping and maybe you're trying to navigate the store with a pushchair, oh. that's hard. It, I, oh my gosh, literally last week, that was me taking my newborn to Aldi for the first time. He was what, five or six weeks at the time and he screamed his head off the whole time we were there. And it was so <laughs> embarrassing. You'd think by the fourth time I'd be used to a crying baby, but there's something about being in the supermarket and having eyes on you and a baby screaming that just adds to the pressure and just kind of stresses you out. So yeah, that was an in interesting experience. It's going to take a while to get him climatized to the supermarket experience. So you've done this four times, so you know what you're about. And there will be new mums listening to this, that there may be people who are um, expecting their second or third. So we are in a really tricky situation with money anyway. And when you bring in maternity pay or, you know, the fact that maybe you're not even getting an enhanced package, you're just on statutory, that that makes life really, really hard. So what advice can you give to people in the run-up? Can they be thinking about saving? What do they need to do? Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. So... Once you find out you're pregnant, in fact, let's take a step back. Even before plan, sometimes people have the um, opportunity to plan for these pregnancies. So if you're planning for a baby, it's important to also plan for that baby financially. So that would be the first thing that I would advise to do. But obviously, sometimes babies are surprises, in which case you've got nine months or so to kind of plan and prepare for that child. And what I would say is first thing to do is to find out what you're actually entitled to at your employer, because... I made that mistake with my most recent child in that I didn't actually find out what the maternity benefits were when I joined. And that's because I wasn't planning to have any more kids. And so because of, because of that reason, I didn't know that it was statutory maternity pay. That was the only thing my company offered. There was no enhanced pay. So definitely find out what is available to you in terms of the maternity pay options. And once you understand that, you know what you have to work with and what you need to do in advance of that baby arriving. So if you know, for example, you're going to be on a statutory maternity pay, you're probably going to want to look at calculating what your bare bones budget needs to be. So how much your cost of living is on a monthly basis, taking away maybe all the additional non-essential expenses. So focusing on all your fixed non-negotiables. So your rent or mortgage, your food, your transport, etc., utilities. So those bills, how much does that cost on a monthly basis and work out 
how much you can afford to put to save towards that while you're still working in preparation for maternity leave because what you want to do is save up as much as you can to supplement what you're getting coming in on that statutory pay so that it's not too much of a strain when you finally go on maternity leave because that statutory pay as we know it's gone up a little bit but I mean it's still 170 something pounds a week so that's not going to be enough to cover all your expenses obviously while you're off and if you want to ideally I guess you'd want to spend as much time as you can at home with that baby and not rush back to work so how much money before the baby comes can you save up to substitute or supplement rather that maternity pay and then that will help you calculate how much time you have at home before having to then go back to work so yeah that's one of the things I'll definitely say is to know your numbers save up as much as you can in advance I'd also say use your community so community when I say community I mean like family friends people that have had children before you what can you borrow what can you swap what can you take from them because a lot of people like people like me for example after I had my third one I got rid of everything because <laughs> I was a parent happening more so if you have people like that in your network that you know are, are done with having children or maybe they're done for the for that period of time that they can borrow you stuff and then take it back after you finish with it all of that kind of thing really helps to keep those costs down costs down as well when you have a new child and um, other things that I would suggest doing is also using um forums so online forums so you've got websites like mum's net um, emma's diary where people again are giving away free stuff and you can even sign up for loads of freebies as well so like i got a free box of nappies and a free box of wipes for my baby every little definitely helps in his economic times <laughs> and you were talking about your community there but yes. one of the key parts of a community has to be your partner and oh, when you were talking earlier about that date night budgeting it's also having those discussions about finances with your partner before the baby comes absolutely i should have mentioned that mentioned that but that is a big part of it so definitely have those conversations with your partner because it may be that you split the maternity leave with your partner as well because now you can do that as an option so definitely have those conversations have those budget dates like we have to kind of talk <laughs> about the numbers before that baby arrives and see how much how you're going to combine your finances so for like me and my husband we bring our finances together so that helped to kind of supplement my income for maternity leave but if that's not going to happen then maybe they, your partner can take on more of the expenses while you're off to kind of give you that leeway to spend time with the baby and not worry about the financial implications of that. And of course, the one thing about brain fog as well, and I remember it well, is that you forget things. So you need to be making a list of things like child benefits, tax-free childcare, all the things that are out there to help you. But when you're in it, you might forget so uh, as you say making the list early planning early maybe even trying to get as much of the forms done beforehand great absolutely. idea no that's absolutely true and I made that mistake with my third one actually I didn't apply for child benefit until he was about six months and they only backdate it for a certain period of time so I missed out on like the first three months of his child benefit so definitely fill out as much of that paperwork as you can in advance so that it's not too much pressure on you when that baby's born because there's a lot to do between the register and the birth, registering with the new GP. There's just a lot to do at the time, all the different midwife, doctor's appointments, etc. So if you can just get those forms completed as soon as possible or even get your partner to help with that, that will alleviate some of that pressure on you. But you're clearly loving being a mum again. 
Oh, absolutely. Oh my gosh. He's literally the best. He's so cute. I mean, he does keep me up at night, which is a lot, but <laughs> overall, like, I couldn't be happier. Totally. Thank you so much. That's been brilliant. Oh, thank you, Danny. Thanks for having me. Tulu Frimpong there. You can find her on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and also via her website, which is tulufrimpong.com. And before we move on to Tulu's financial confession, because we do a financial confession in every episode, and this one is a real doozy, and it's the reason that she became a, a money blogger in the first place. But I think it's worth picking up on something she said there about filling forms in, because failing to fill in those forms or failing to fill in all the information needed can have huge consequences that can last for years. And in fact, Laura, some women have been hearing that they've missed out on around a billion pounds of state pension payments because they didn't fill in their national insurance number when they applied for child benefit. Yeah, this is a huge thing that's been uncovered and, and the government has um, announced. So people who take time out of the workplace to look after kids have been given pension credits for almost 50 years. And that is um, national insurance credits that go towards your state pension entitlement. Up until 2010, this was called home responsibilities protection. Um, but it's now estimated that about 187,000 people who are women in their 60s and 70s have missed out on these credits to the tune of an average of about £5,000 per person. So HMRC is now trying to track down these people to credit them with this money that they should have had in their state pension. But sadly, and inevitably, when we're talking about this age group, it's thought that thousands of them will have died before getting their entitlement. There's some cases where their dependents might be eligible to receive the money that they missed out on, and HMRC is kind of working through this. If you think that you might be in this situation, then you don't need to do anything, but you do need to keep an eye out for one of those dreaded brown envelopes that come from the DWP um, and open it and act on it because it could have a massive boost to your income and to your state pension. But I think it's just frustrating that this is yet another error that's happened with state pensions that is also overwhelmingly affecting women. Yeah, and filling in all of those forms when you are exhausted and you've got so much more to think about and you might be feeling emotionally drained as well. And there are so many forms. And I'm thinking, I mean, not just child benefit forms, but all sorts of things that you need to make sure that you filled in to make sure that you're getting everything that you're entitled to. Yeah, so much life admin to do at a point in life where you have like no spare time and you're tired and the last thing you should be doing is filling out serious forms. I would say it's a great job if you're in this situation, great job to delegate to the dads and get them to just gather <laughs> all the information and delegate that stuff out. <laughs> Okay, it is time for Toulouse Confession. And as I say, it is a big one. Oh gosh, yes, I've got a big confession to make actually. I once was in over £36,000 debt and that was debt that I was able to accrue when I bought my first home. So took out loans for refurbishment and then in, in addition to that, took out loans to furnish the house like to buy all the furnishings and then if that wasn't enough I also went on holiday during that period of time on the credit card so got myself into a big financial mess. 
And how did you get out of that? Oh gosh, that's a, a long conversation, what I would say, <laughs> but um, I followed Dave Ramsey's baby steps and my husband and I basically worked really hard to pay that debt off. So you're now debt free? Yes. With four, and not with four, with four kids, excellent. <laughs> Thank you. Quite a cautionary tale there, but I like that she's taken a kind of negative situation and turned it into something positive, which is, you know, her new career and her new interest in finance. And so I think she's definitely made the best of that one. She has definitely made the best of that one. And, you know, she talks about it in such real terms as well. Uh, And I think a lot of people, when you're talking about debt, they can feel quite guilty or embarrassed and you know, the fact that she's really been there and she's lived it and she's talking from her perspective when she's talking about money tips, I think makes her really accessible. So um, if you are in that situation, do take a look at uh, some of Tulu's life story and, um, you know, hopefully you'll be able to get yourself on track. And remember, there are all sorts of places that you can go to, Citizens Advice. We spoke to Debt Camel as part of an episode, and we do have an episode uh, about debt that you can look back on. So don't just stick your head in the sand. Definitely deal with it. And that is it for this episode. So as we said earlier, do sign up to our newsletter so you can keep up to date on everything that we are looking at. If you follow us on social media at AJ Bell Money Matters, and you'll find all of the links there to the newsletter and to previous content as well. And we would love to hear from you. So do drop us an email at moneymatters at ajbell.co.uk. And Don't forget, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you haven't already told your sisters, your aunts, your friends, the person that you've been sat next to at work today, um, then do so. Tell everybody about the podcast. It would be great to get more people hearing about finances, talking about finances, feeling comfortable about their finances. And next time, we're going to talk money and health with the fabulous female money doctor. So definitely listen to that one. Until then, thanks for listening. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.